Our scripture reading today is from Matthew 8, 28 through 34. When he arrived on the uh, other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men came from the tombs and met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want of us? Son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us uh, before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, If you drive us out, send us into that herd of pigs, he said. Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into town, and reported all of this, included what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region this is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me once again? Father, we are grateful for your word, and our simple and yet earnest prayer is that this morning your word would break through to our hearts, find fertile ground, and bring forth fruit. We pray this in the confidence that your spirit can and will do it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I feel like I need to add the, the disclaimer to that, that reading, that no pigs were harmed in the retelling of that story. So, no. I grew up in a home where I'm the oldest of, of three children, and if you ask Lynn, I'm often a very stereotypical oldest child. Uh, but me and my brother and sister, we have a great relationship now. Uh, wasn't always the case, especially between me and my youngest sister, who's the youngest of the three of us. My youngest sister, by all appearances to outsiders, looked cute, looked sweet. But to describe her as brat doesn't even begin to come close. Pure evil is about the best I can do. Uh, She used to come down on a Saturday morning looking all sweet and cute in her footy pajamas, dragging her Care Bear stuffed animal with her. And she'd walk into the living room where I was watching my Saturday morning cartoons, probably, you know, G.I. Joe or the Thundercats or something like that. And she'd just start screaming and crying. And I'm thinking, did she get bit by a spider? You know, what's happened? My parents would come running into the room and she would point to the TV and she'd say, Danny turned the channel on me. And I would have to turn it to strawberry shortcake. So angry, and I held that against her for so long. I still hold it against her. Uh, Every once in a while, that that cute, sweet exterior, the, the mask would slip on and slip off, and you would see what lied underneath. Eventually, as she grew up, it slipped off more and more, and my parents kind of caught on to what she was doing and disciplined her accordingly. There was a few years where she didn't sit down without a cringe. So, 
In this gospel story, and in all the other stories where you see Jesus confronting demons, the mask slips off. And we see the evil and darkness that is bent on destruction. Sometimes we don't see that. Sometimes we miss evil and we miss darkness because it masquerades as light. After all, Satan masquerades as the angel of light. But here in this story, the mask slips off and you see evil, you see our adversary and all his destructive venom. You see evil at its worst. But you also see Jesus at his best. In this story, we see that Jesus' mission was not just to come and extend compassion to sinners and to bring salvation to the lost. It was that, but it wasn't just that. He also came to bring an end to evil, to conquer darkness, to bring its destructive work to an end. This story is an important story. It appears in three of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all retell this story. And they're telling it, and they add different details. So we get this, this great, really robust picture, vivid picture, of what happened. All three of them tell us that it happened in a, in a region that is a, a Gentile region, which helps you make sense of some of the details of the story. It's the, the region of the Gadarenes or the Gerasenes. It's also the region known as the Decapolis, or it was the region where the Decapolis, or ten Greek cities, independent cities, were located. And as Jesus steps off the boat, having crossed the Sea of Galilee, he's met by a man. Matthew tells us it was actually two men. Mark and Luke focus on one man who was probably the spokesperson or the, the representative of the two. And they come to Jesus. They meet him as he's getting off the boat. And Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark and Luke say they fall to their knees and plead with Jesus. What have you come here to do, Jesus, Son of God? What have you come here to do to us, Son of the Most High God? Now, this man was in a pitiful state. He was living in the tombs. Probably this, these caves, natural caves, where people would bury their dead. He had been driven out of the towns and out of the villages because he was so violent. He could no longer even be restrained with chains. He would break his bonds and do harm to himself and to others. The passages tell us that he would take sharp rocks and cut himself. And he was naked, and you can just imagine him scabby and crusty and dirty and wretched. Living in the tombs. And he comes and he falls at Jesus' feet, not in an act of worship, but to plead. Don't torture us. Don't, Luke says, cast us into the abyss, for it's not the appointed time. I find it incredibly ironic that this tormentor is pleading not to be tormented. Don't torture us. Don't cast us out. Don't cast us into the abyss. For now is not the appointed time. 
And Jesus says, tell me your name. And he replies, my name is Legion. Now in the Roman army, a legion would be 6,000 men. So this just adds to the picture of this man's pitiful condition. He's not being tormented just by a demon, but by a host of demons. And Legion begs Jesus, if you cast us out, cast us into that herd of pigs. And for some reason, which we'll think about together in a minute, Jesus complies with that request. And he casts the demons into those pigs, and we see the destructive force of the demonic. As the pigs rush down the hillside off a cliff and into the sea to drown. The the townspeople come out and they see the man who has been tormented and in chains and living in the tombs and he's dressed and healthy and well. And they fear. And they fear the man who had such authority to drive out this host of demons. And they ask Jesus. They plead with Jesus the second time he's being pled with in this passage, leave us, leave this area. I'll accept the man. As Jesus is leaving the area and getting back on the boat, the man who's been healed comes to Jesus and says, please, let me go with you, the third time he's being pled with in this passage. And to this man, Jesus says no. He's complied with the demon's request. He's complied with the request to leave the town, but this request, he says, no, you're not going to come with me. Instead, go out through this area, through this region, and tell people, tell all the people what God has done. And it says he went through the whole region of the Decapolis, telling everyone what God had done for him. This is a fantastic story, but I think we need to take a moment and, and focus on the theology. Focus on what's being taught in this story. I think there's five statements that we can, that we ought to affirm, that are based in, that emerge from this story. And the first one's probably pretty obvious to you. It's that Satan and his demons are destroyers. We do have an enemy, a spiritual enemy, sometimes referred to as the devil, other times Satan, or our adversary, our accuser. And he's described as a lion who prowls around seeking whom he can devour because he's a destroyer. In this story, we see that in overt ways. The, the man was dehumanized. He, he was robbed of his dignity. He was isolated, driven out from community, robbed of, of health, robbed of peace. The demons were doing their destructive work in his life. You also see it in the pigs. The demons destroy the pigs. Have you ever asked, why did they want to be driven out into the pigs if they were just going to kill the pigs? I think there's two reasons. First, to raise the level of animosity towards Jesus. When they destroyed the pigs, the people said, Jesus, leave us. But I think the second and more important reason is they wanted to destroy. Their destructive work in this man was cut short, 
and they saw the opportunity to destroy. And they took it. it. Sometimes evil doesn't wear a mask. Sometimes it's just overt and destructive and we can see it. We see it in the story. I think we saw it this weekend in the events that unfolded in Paris. Evil wasn't wearing a mask. It was overt and it was destructive. But sometimes, evil is more subtle. It's more subversive. Uh, this past October, we went down to, to Orlando, and we went to Universal Studios, and they have this whole Harry Potter. This is not a sermon against Harry Potter. Um, I'm using jelly beans as an example. Uh, my kids were at the candy store in Harry Potter's world and picked up this pack of jelly beans. It's called the Any Flavor Jelly Beans. Some of them are fantastic, you know, lemon and cheesecake and strawberry. But some of them are disguised. You've got puke-flavored jelly beans, dirty sock-flavored jelly beans, earwax jelly beans. Sometimes evil comes like that. It looks delicious. Sometimes sin is disguised in a candy coating. Sometimes it looks like pleasure and fun. Sometimes it comes wearing the mask of sensible, tolerant, loving. Sometimes the deadly sin of greed masquerades as wanting our kids to have every advantage. Sometimes pride looks like confidence. Sometimes immorality is excused as, well, it's just the way things are. No matter what form sin, evil, wickedness comes in, whether it's overt or whether it's subtle, it's destructive. It's dehumanizing. It it robs us of our dignity as image bearers. It robs us of health, sometimes physical health, sometimes emotional health, always spiritual health. It steals our shalom, our peace. It's dehumanizing. So for me, one of the takeaways from this story is I'm going to ask the Spirit to shine the light into the dark places of my heart, to the dark recesses that I don't often look, and ask, Spirit, where is sin doing its dehumanizing, destructive work in my life? And then ask the Spirit, Spirit, through your power, help me to wage war against this destructive work. Sin, evil, is destructive. We see it here at its, at its worst. But as I said, we see Christ at his best. We also see, and this is the second thing that I think emerges from this, we see Jesus' compassion. This man was, according to society, a lost cause. They had tried. The people had bound him, hoping that would help. But they gave up. They just sent him out into the tombs. And it says he was so violent, they wouldn't even go that way anymore. 
just isolated as a lost, hopeless case. You can almost hear them saying, you know, he'll, he'll be right again. Yeah, when pigs fly. Come on, people, that was funny. <laughs> Couldn't help. Jesus extends compassion to lost causes. Look through the history of the church. How many in the church would have written the Apostle Paul off as a hopeless lost cause for Christ? Or Augustine, raised in a Christian home, but turned his back on the faith, adopted the religion of Manichae, lived a sexually immoral life of the nth degree, and yet Christ didn't turn his back on him. He didn't abandon him as a lost cause. He became a wonderful doctor of the church. Or my friend Eric. Some of you might remember Eric when he was here at ECC. Eric came through the Hebron Addiction Recovery Program. And in his late teens, he became addicted to Oxycontin, then cocaine, then heroin. He was living homeless, destitute, pitiful. But someone shared with him hope. I was just up at Eric's church in Indy a couple weeks ago. He's serving the Lord. He's married to a girl that he met here at ECC, one of our C group leaders. Now, Eric's not a finished work. By any stretch of the imagination, either am I, either are you. But what a testimony to God's compassion on lost causes. How many in our culture would have just written Eric off, but not Jesus? To me, this is just an amazing encouragement. Because I know some of you here feel like lost causes. Either because of your past or because of cycles of, of sin that you can't seem to break yourself out of, or whatever. But Jesus does not give up on lost causes, on hopeless cases. He's there to extend compassion and grace and offer healing and restoration. And it's a convicting story in this regard too, because it reminds me, and it reminds us as the church, the church of Christ, we ought not write anyone off as a lost cause. Because with Jesus, there is always hope. So we see Jesus at his best. Here we see Jesus at, at his most compassionate. We also see Jesus in all his power and in all his authority. The section of Matthew shows, this whole section of Matthew and of Mark and of Luke so show Jesus' authority. We see him healing, and he's got authority over disease. We see him casting out demons. He's got authority over the demonic and the powers of darkness. We see him calming storms. He's got authority over nature. What I love about this story is that even the demons recognize Jesus' authority. The way the gospel writers set this up, and, and they're witty. They're great writers. Uh, Jesus has just come across the lake, and he's calmed the sea. And his disciples are wondering, what 
kind of man is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? The next verse, here come the demons to answer the question. This is Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of the Most High. That's where he gets authority from. The demons recognize Jesus' authority. They, can't, they don't even have authority over pigs, the demons don't, unless Jesus grants it to them. They have nothing. They have no authority. Jesus does. And if he says, come out, they will come out. And if he says, go, they will go. And this is a reminder to us Because when we go out in Jesus' name to proclaim the good news, to extend compassion, to bring justice, to do deeds of mercy, when we do those things in Christ's name, we are inevitably brought into conflict with darkness and with evil. But when we go out in Christ's name, we don't go out alone. Christ the one with all power and all authority goes with us. The hymn we sang, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, says that if we in our own strength confided, our striving would be losing. But we have the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing, Lord Jesus, it is he. The one with all power all power and all authority goes with us. And because we go out in his name, because we go out with his authority behind us, some will be won. Some will be delivered. Not because of our striving, but because of Christ's power working through us. And others, frankly, will be scared and turned off. Others will say, leave us We preferred our pigs, thank you very much. But we go out with Jesus' authority and Jesus' power. It does raise the question though, right? Why did Jesus, who has all power and all authority, allow the demons to go into the pigs and do this destructive work? Why? I can think of three answers, none of them completely satisfying to me, but altogether, I think a fairly good answer. First, it was a powerful display of his power and authority. Now the people saw, beyond a shadow of a doubt, what happened. It also showed that the man was clean. The demons hadn't just got quiet in him, they were gone. But the most important explanation is it simply wasn't time yet. The demon said, what are you here for? It's not the appointed time yet. When they say, what are you here for? I don't think they mean, what are you doing here in in this region? But what are you doing here on earth? It's not the end yet. The fourth truth that emerges from this, for me, is that Jesus has a plan, and it's moving towards its appointed end. The demons know this. 
They know that there is an appointed time where Jesus will come and destroy their work and cast them into the abyss. They're just confused because it didn't feel like this was the right time to them. This didn't seem like it was the appointed time. I think that's why Jesus allows them to continue their destructive work in those pigs. It wasn't the time yet. But in what he does, he gives great evidence that the kingdom is breaking in to the here and to the now. That the end has come into the present. That the future is breaking in to the present. And the power of God's kingdom is at work. And we get a foretaste, just a, a small foretaste of Christ's ultimate victory. over the powers of darkness. When you get to Easter, that's where you see it. In its fullest display. The power of darkness broken. The power of the grave overcome. The sting of death removed. You get it here just a little bit. Darkness being pushed back. And this hint that more is coming. When the appointed time arrives, it's all going to be fixed. All the darkness dispelled, all evil overcome. This week, it doesn't feel like darkness is being overcome, does it? Uh, this week, it feels like darkness is permeating every area of life. I talk to my kids, I, I know you can talk to your kids or your grandkids, and just the things that they have to encounter in school and in their world. And you turn on the news, and it just seems like evil's winning. I'd encourage you to take the truth of this passage, of this story, into your normal week. And before you turn on the news, say to yourself, I know what I see is going to be evil winning. Or seeming to win. But not for long. There's an appointed time. And when you click the news off, pray, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Come and set it right. Come dispel darkness. Come conquer. So Jesus has a plan. It's unfolding. Jesus also has a mission. This is the fifth truth that I see emerging here. Jesus has a mission and a people for his mission. At times when Jesus healed someone in different areas, he said, now don't tell anyone what I did for you. This story is different. Jesus sends the man out and says, go tell everyone in this area what I've done for you. Now, the difference was that when Jesus was operating in Jewish areas in Israel, there was this fervent messianic expectation that was just loaded down with political assumptions. And had news gotten out that he was the Messiah before he was ready, before the, the time was right, all those political assumptions would have been thrown on him and he probably would have been thrust into a situation before its time. But here this wasn't the case. 
It was a Gentile region. They didn't have that messianic expectation. And so he sends out the man who has been healed as his ambassador to that region. Go and tell everyone. You know, the time for the secret is over. Just like this man, we're commissioned to go and to tell everyone. We've received mercy just as this man has. Maybe not deliverance in that kind of a visible, overt, use that word again, way. But we have been delivered. We have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness, Paul tells us, and transitioned into the kingdom of light. We have been saved from guilt and shame, healed, restored, given peace. Now go and tell people what Christ has done for you. My dad used to say he loved new converts because they were ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. You see this man, what can I do? I want to go with you. No, go tell people. He doesn't go and tell just a few people. He spread the news through ten cities, the Decapolis. He was so overwhelmed with gratitude for what Christ had done for him, he was compelled to share it with others. Have you received mercy? Yes. Be compelled out of gratitude and out of love to share it with others. Those are the five truths that emerge, I think, from this passage. But some of you are still bothered by the pigs. I get it. I like Wilbur too. Charlotte's Web's a great story. You think, okay, he was compassionate on the man, but what about the pigs? 2,000 died. Doesn't it show the preciousness of human life? The priority of humanity and God's creation? We live in a time where human life is so devalued. It's a commodity. Not here. Not with Jesus. What price do you put on a life, a human life, on my life? What price do I put on it? Is 2,000 pigs too much to pay? No. I don't think so. Oh, but it doesn't seem just. Little piggies were innocent. They didn't do anything to deserve this. You're right. Evil is indiscriminate. It destroys in unjust ways. And if you think this was unjust, look at the ultimate price that was paid to bring victory. Not 2,000 pigs. One perfect man who also happened to be the precious Son of the Most High, the innocent lamb that by evil was led to slaughter. It was his death that brought ultimate victory. It was in his death that the head of the serpent was ultimately crushed. And he emerges as victor over sin, over death, 
over the grave, over darkness. His death and his resurrection show us in the most profound way his compassion to the lost. Show us in the most profound way his authority to lay down his life and to take it back up. His plan, his purpose, his mission, they all go through the cross. I said this passage shows evil at its worst. I'm wrong. The cross shows evil at its worst. And Christ, at his absolute, loving, glorious best. That's why the Christ of the cross and the cross isn't a symbol of shame and defeat for the Christian, but of victory and of hope. If you want to experience that victory and that hope, I would love the opportunity to talk with you, even today. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in the darkness of our world, it shines the light of hope because the true light has shone into the world and defeated darkness. Father, we thank you that your word comes to us and, and shows us what victory looks like. And it's not with conquering armies and generals. It looks like the cross. It looks like suffering and pain. But that didn't have the final word. For you rose victorious. And you bring that life, that victorious life, to us even now so that we can share in it. Father, as we look at our world, we're grieved by the suffering that evil brings. We pray that as people who have experienced the hope of the cross, we'd have a good word to share with others about where they can find hope. Hope that helps us navigate through this broken and fallen world and brings us eventually at the appointed time into your kingdom where there is no sin, there is no death or suffering, nothing evil, nothing wicked, only the love of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.